Welcome to the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. This week we're chatting to Steve Phillip, suicide prevention campaigner and all-round awesome human being. Thank you. Steve, Steve Philip, welcome to the Form Guide. It is a real honour to be uh, to be speaking with you, and thank you for that music selection, Stevie Wonder, "Ribbon in the Sky," and we'll talk about the significance of it in a bit. But welcome, good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, Rob. Thanks for inviting me on. Pleasure, pleasure. Really good uh, to have you here. So. Um, Steve, you are a suicide prevention advocate and prolific campaigner. Um, we're going to talk about your story. Um, we're going to talk about the work that you do. Um, but first of all, we're going to start with the question. And this is the question that I um, am well known for. And I ask all of my guests and my TEDx was all about this question. And that question is, how are you today? So I'll go first. I'm a, a nine out of 10. I, I actually didn't sleep enough last night, Steve. I woke up way too early. Um, so I was probably an eight out of 10, still good form. But then I exercised for an hour on my uh, on my Watt bike, my indoor bike, and that pushed me back up to a nine. So I'm enjoying an exceptional run of form, which um, for someone who's had a long COVID for 12 months, this is good to see. But how about you? What's your score today? Well, I better try and match that somehow, hadn't I? Uh, I, I think I'd probably put myself at around about an eight or, or a nine, uh, just yeah. back from a couple of weeks break um, and back to it full on as my life tends to be, to be honest. So so feeling a little bit of, bit of stress and a little bit of overwhelm with, with that um, and uh, did wake up a little bit earlier uh, saying to my wife, I think your phone is pinging. Um, she checked it, having woken her up and said, no, it isn't. Uh, I checked mine. Mine was off. I clearly dreamt it. Uh, so uh, so we just both woke a little bit earlier than planned this morning. But, yeah, just, just kind of feeling this back to work. You know, when you take some time off, there's always a lot to, to come back to and messages. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit of overwhelm, a little bit of stress keeping me off a nine, I think, at the moment. Yeah, and I think you know, not acknowledging that is good, and I think being kind to oneself as we transition back into, um, you know, getting up to full ramming speed is the way I like to describe it. I think uh, being kind along the way. Um, good to see uh, Sarah Restall um, as ever on the live on LinkedIn. She's a nine out of ten too, which is great to see. Um, so we're on good form today. The sun is shining. Um, what is a, what would a perfect ten day look for you, Steve? What would the components of that day be? I'd probably be on holiday again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think a per perfect day would be not putting quite so much in my diary um, and having that time, as we were discussing just when we were off air, about getting out on my bike yeah. uh, a little bit more often. As you know, you get out on your bike, you've got to put your gear on, you've got to get the tyres pumped up, you've got to go out there, have a shower. You know, it's not a half hour kind of thing. And I just I just need, yeah, if I was building that in a little bit more regularly, I, I think I'd be much nearer that that uh, 10 score, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, I don't think a, in my world, a 10 could exist without a bike ride outside um, in, in decent weather. Um, are you a leg shaver? Do you shave your legs, Steve? Are you, uh, well, I, I've reached that time of life where they're self-shaving. <laughs> yes. I, I, I kind of wish that would happen to me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm forever trying to keep my legs nice and smooth. But yeah, brilliant. Um, I, I think you know that 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 
that sort of idea of um, a, a perfect 10 day for me is also around, you know, having some intellectual stimulation, but not being overloaded with it, as you say, probably being somewhere in that relaxed holiday vibe, but surrounded by people that are stimulating me intellectually and um, all the rest of it. So we've seen another nine on the chat, um, um, another sleep issue knocking Paul down from an eight to a seven, but that's still pretty good. So good to see these scores coming through and thank you for being open and, uh, and sharing them. So we're going to do the quick fire round, Steve, and this is uh, not something uh, I've asked you to prepare for. Um, and it's a bit of fun. And I'm going to ask you if mental health were a whatever, what would it be? OK, so first one, if mental health were an animal, what would it be for you? Oh, wow. OK, that's 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 an interesting one. Um, and, and, and you know what? The first animal, I'm just going to say the first one that came into yep. my head um, and, 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 and that would be a, a hippopotamus. Brilliant. Why a hippo? I just think this big, obviously I'm thinking of poor mental health here. That's obviously what's coming to my head. Um, this great big lumbering creature, really, um, sort of submerged a lot of the time. That was an interesting question. I hadn't even thought about that before. Yeah, I like it. I like the mental health hippo, though, because, you know, just submerged. They're sort of always there, you know, quite a big presence, but not always been able to see it. And then actually, if it, it kind of opens its jaws, you uh, as it can from time to time. Um, yeah, really good one. The mental health hippo. Um, if mental health were a colour, Steve, what colour comes to mind? Um, OK, Um Gosh, yeah, this is a difficult one. It's going to be pretty, I suppose still for me, it's a pretty dark colour. And again, I've got to say that you've used the term mental health. You haven't said poor or good here, but but I suppose yeah. still initially, you know, for me, it's still quite a dark uh, a dark colour. You know, I, I hesitate in saying black, but but at the moment it, it kind of is still that for me, maybe. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I understand that. And you're right, we've got the continuum of, of mental ill health and, and, and the challenging times and, and the tragic times um, through to you know, vibrancy positive and that, that perfect 10 day and everything in between. Um, and one out of 10 for us is a, is a black on our scale. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think just to add to that, Rob, though, uh, you know, I think there is, you know, clearly a start every day. And you know, I, I kind of talk to to my son i know we're going to talk about that you know um uh, so i so i'm always kind of slightly more melancholy first first thing in yeah. the morning maybe but ultimately you know the, there is the other end of the scale with a bright yellow where, where where you know we look at hope and and everything we do has ultimately this message of hope at the at the end yeah. so i think it is a absolutely a continuum so i, I think I'd, I'd look at that in in two colors yeah, the, 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 and two very, two very, two big extremes, which is totally understandable, and I'm, I'm with you on that. We, um, I like to say, mental health is an explosion of colour and vibrancy. It's not well or ill. It's not black and white. It's not even shades of grey. It's this beautiful um, and sometimes tragic part of being human. Um, mm. And and those extremes, I, I I can relate to for sure. Um, if mental health were a food, Steve, what would it be? Oh wow! Okay, um, <laughs> guy, I just really haven't got a clue there, Rob. But um, I don't know why fruit has come into my head. Um, yep. Okay. Maybe yeah. I always eat a lot of fruit in the morning with the breakfast. But um, um, 
Yeah, I, 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 be, I suppose it just health, fruit. Yeah, fruit. I like, fr- I like, fr- I like, I like fruit because fruit, fruit's interesting because, um, you, you, you don't know what you're going to get when you bite into a piece of fruit. It could be a bit sour, could be very sweet, um, you know, ever changing, um, and and again, you've got that variety of, of fruit as well, which is the variety of things we feel. What's what's your favourite fruit? What would you? What would you uh, sure. Wow. Okay. Well, we we have this kind of regime that my. Um, um, my wife and I were both second time around married uh, yeah. 2014 um, but uh, she gets breakfast in bed every morning um, right. but so do I because uh, yeah. I go down and, and make it yeah. but we have cereal with literally raspberries blueberries strawberries banana kiwi fruit nectarine all chopped up all there on top of the cereal every morning wow I mean wow. who wouldn't want to be married to me bro? <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, I'm not going to comment on whether I would or wouldn't want to be married, but I would like to come. I would like to come stay for breakfast, Steve. So, um, you know, I'm picturing a sort of you know cycle ride in Yorkshire, you know, and a, and a nice fruit breakfast. So, yeah, uh, ab- ab- absolutely. But yeah, it's become, become a routine for us each day. Yeah. Uh, brilliant and look everyone on the chat please feel free to contribute on your uh, your choices for the the quick fire round uh, so a lot of love for the hippo there steve and um good to see you. hopefully uh, simone we can uh, move you from a five more towards that that eight so let's uh, let's go on that journey together um so you mentioned your holiday um if mental health were a holiday destination what would it be for you steve i i think it would be somewhere warm and sunny by the sea um yeah. definitely um yeah, for me, I think we're you know a lot of us are missing that uh, at the moment, and um, uh, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I I agree, and I think again for me that perfect ten day uh, a dip in the sea would have to be part of that. I think mm. um, um, if mental health were a song, and we may have heard it, but what would the, what song would come to mind? Yeah, I think it would be a, an R and R and B number of some kind. Uh, yeah. You know, Jordan's favorite music. Um, um you know genre i've always enjoyed as well so it'd be pretty laid back um uh, i think pretty melodic um pretty soulful yeah soulful r&b yeah i grew up in the midlands and i played a lot of basketball actually um when i was growing up and, and we were massively into uh, r&b it was kind of um you know um my, my thing um so i'm uh, i'm with you and jordan on that one so well well here we go jordan you know we haven't discussed this beforehand so this has come out of the, the, the blue as well jordan was a massive basketball fan and player in his younger younger days when we, we lived in north america and and in the uk so um in fact behind me on my table you'll see a couple of his basketball trophies possibly uh, yeah. uh that i've got out uh, from his house there so that's an uh, interesting connection as well yeah, there Rob. yeah fantastic and, and is a particular r&b artist that would spring to mind any any or any particular songs yeah i mean he's he's a big lover of a guy that might not be known to a lot of people but definitely worth checking out a chap called david ryan harris um, okay uh, guy in the states uh, who jordan just happened to meet and um, you know, have a photo taken with outside a pub close to the gig he was playing at that they'd gone to see. He just turned up in the pub and Brilliant. Jordan went over it, as Jordan did, had a chat with him, and they've got this lovely photograph of their arms around each other, uh, shoulders outside, nice. taken by Jordan's girlfriend. So, yeah, David Ryan Harris, definitely worth checking out. David Ryan nice. Harris. Yeah, I'm not familiar, so I'm going to make sure I listen to that, and we'll put some links in the, the show notes on this one as well. So final one from the quick fire round, and then I'm going to try and paint a picture. Um, if if mental health were a sound, um, what sound signifies mental health for you? Wow. Okay. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, again, I'm coming at it, I know, from kind of maybe the more negative end of the spectrum, but but the first thing that came to mind was a scream um, there. So, yeah, it's um, what I don't want to do is kind of create an answer here. I want to kind of just give you what, what comes into my it? head at, yeah. the, at this moment, really. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a scream kind of let me yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and this is really a special uh, a special episode and, and you are being very raw and honest. And, you know, as I paint that picture, may, maybe, you know, you've heard a scream. Maybe it was you in, in your sleep screaming in this picture that I, I and you've woken up from that. But actually, um, rather than uh, you make the breakfast, um, it's uh, we're, we're together. I've brought you your 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 fruit, um, and we're we're taking breakfast by the sea, and we've had a swim um, early morning, and then I've cut up all the fruit, and we're we're um, we've just come out of the water actually because we've seen a hippo. Um, and hippos don't go in the sea, I'm sure, but we've seen a hippo and hippos are very dangerous. So we've we've come out quickly, but I've prepared the breakfast. So we're um, we're seeing the yellow sun rise um, and it's coming up in behind the blue sky. Um, we're listening to um, David, the, the, David, the, the, David Ryan Harris. David yeah. Ryan Harris. Um, we're enjoying our, our fruit um, and we're just kind of being there in that overlooking the, the ocean. I don't know where it is, but it's a beautiful scene. Um, so that's the, the picture I've put together from the, the quick fire round. So thank you for sharing it. Okay, so Steve, we're going to talk about your journey, your story, your work as a as a suicide prevention campaigner and the zero suicide goal, I guess. Um, I'm just going to quote from your post that you wrote on 16th of December 2019. Um, on, on December the 4th, my beautiful 34-year-old son took his own life. I mean, I... I <laughs> I find this really emotional, um, even even saying it. Um, as you know, I attempted to end my life when I was 31 um, at a point where I'd lost hope. Um, and you shared that story, I guess, um, and what had happened to Jordan, your son, um, 15 days after you um, received a message and, and found out. Um, I think I'd like to start with Jordan, actually, um, and... Um, you prompted me to do this, and I thank you for that. But can you tell us about Jordan? Can you? We've we've started to understand these R and Bs. He's like he's an R and B. He's a basketballer. I've got a lot in common with him. But what was he like? What was what was Jordan like as a as a person? Yeah, I, I think you know the best way. You know, the best people, uh, uh, or the people that are in the best position to describe him, are probably his closest friends. Incredibly, more more so than maybe maybe myself and his parents and those that were very close because. You know, they saw a side of Jordan that maybe we we didn't. Um, for those who've seen photographs of Jordan, good looking, good looking lad, yeah. great job, own house, lovely girlfriend and partner, um, plans for the future. Uh, there. What, what did what did he do? What was his job? Uh, he worked for the Independent Office of Police Conduct, so okay. quite a stressful job. Um, yeah. Obviously, dealt with a lot of issues, but you know his own colleagues, of which thirty plus of them turned up to to the funeral. Um, obviously, this was pre-COVID in, in the January of twenty twenty. You know, they they like so many people that have messaged me since who knew Jordan or worked with him, just talked about his 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 laugh, his infectious laugh that he had, but his compassion and care. For people that, that he really did care and this has come through um, from his work colleagues this has come through from friends that would say you know if we were in trouble he'd be the guy who'd jump in the car and travel down to the south of the country to come and come yeah. and see me 
you know, I had a good friend of his over on, on Friday and, and we were sitting outside in the garden here chatting and, um, yeah, you know, Jonathan was one of his closest, closest friends. And he said, you know, I just missed that opportunity of being able to talk to him. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he'd always, he'd, uh, if I had a problem, he'd, he'd kind of say, look, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. And he'd, yeah. he'd kind of talk me through it. And, and that, that was kind of Jordan. He was, the guy they said they go out for a, a night out and he, you know, they'd look back in the middle of Newcastle at whatever time it was and, you know, where's Jordan? And, um, you know, he'd be chatting to some homeless guy and uh, spending time there. And in fact, Jonathan sent me this crazy video of them out late night in Newcastle, Jordan kneeling down next to a bus guru singing an Elton John song. Jordan could not sing, by the way. He, had, he was toned there. But he'd sing, <laughs> he clearly had a few beers. Uh, looking happy, um, throwing some money down into this Busker's um, um, case there. Uh, and that was kind of kind of Jordan, you know, from the outside world point of view. He was the, he was the guy, you know, they say you, you walk in a room and you knew someone kind of special. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know when someone passes away, you, you get, uh, you know, these types of comments, but the sheer volume from people um, who said such similar things in the last 18 months. As, um, what it made me realise, um, Rob, is that I, there's a side of my son I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah, he was yeah. the nice, loving, protective, slightly quiet, slightly moody at times, son who was obviously maybe protecting us, possibly. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but, of course, would have a laugh and a joke with us and, and good sense of humour. But he was much more reserved, say, with his closer family. Um, yeah. So it's been really interesting to learn about Jordan, I suppose, you know, since what, what has happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can tell you, I share also the fact that I can't sing uh, with, with Jordan as well. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely terrible, as my wife will attest. Um, doesn't stop me trying, though. Um, I, I mean, I think the, you know, the brightness of the star, right? And it's, uh, you know, he was a bright star helping others um, and, yeah, sometimes we don't see the other side of that, do we? And, um, you know, I know for many years I hid what I was going through um, from, I, I didn't even know what I was going through for many years. Um, and then even when I did, I hid that from, from you know, a number of people in my, in my network. Um, but what, what, what can you tell us about the sort of challenges that, that Jordan faced with his mental health through the, through the years? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, as you know, as parents, um, my, my ex-wife, obviously Jordan's mother, we have a very close relationship um, um, still there. And, um, um, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Um, you, you know, if we understand that there was clearly some time around 2014, 13, 14, where we, we knew he was struggling and, until ultimately in 2015 when he was diagnosed with clinical depression and quite clearly had hit rock bottom, he was we, we picked him, I picked him up. He came to live with his stepmom and, and myself and to, to help him get back on track. And he was, he was not in a good, good place. And that was the first moment we kind of realized we, we've got some fairly major issue here. Um, from that period on onward, he, he had some CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. He saw a doctor, he, he got medication, went on antidepressants. Uh, and from that period of time onward, would, would um, manage reasonably well, hold down a good job, and, and, and um, to all intents and purposes, would seem to be doing okay if he had an episode. So his depression mixed with anxiety, um, 
would come on uh, in episodes. So his route after that was always back to the doctor or antidepressants. He got one that would work well for him. Interestingly enough, we, we, we're not aware of him having any other talking therapy during that period of time at all. We don't know whether that was his choice or yeah. whether he tried. Really don't know at all. Um, but we kind of look back now. We look back pre-2015 and 14, and, and we see some of the trigger events maybe in his life. The fact we lived in North America, as I mentioned, and he, he loved you know the sports in Canada where we lived and his basketball and played CFL football. And okay. we kind of brought him back from that for reasons too lengthy to go into, but family reasons, we moved back to the UK. You know, he didn't want to come back at all. And, and it was pretty stressful. Um, and we look at other moments in his life as well, where you think, I wonder if that had a fairly significant impact on him. So, but even as a young child, much more reserved and quiet and thoughtful and introspective and 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 caring and considerate. Um, you know, the, the, in, in a way, you, we, we you maybe do this as parents, you kind of look back and say, were the signs long before this? Was this moody teenager not really a moody teenager? Was, was he someone who was who was struggling? Um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, there, there are probably moments in time we could look back at that may have led him to to this path really yeah yeah uh, i'm sure that is the case and listening to your talk you obviously naturally when a tragedy like this happens as parents uh, and as a father you question you 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 want to know why you want to know what you could have done differently how do you start to travel forward from that um and and you're never going to completely I, I don't want to say come to terms with it but actually uh, there's got to be a point where you you need to stop questioning to be able to move forward um how, how does that or, or 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 at least make peace with those questions how, how, how has that journey been for you yeah well I, I think the final question you've asked how's that been for me is really pertinent because it, it you know I've met so many people since who've been bereaved lost loved ones and, and children particularly um and uh, it's a very personal journey I think everyone manages it differently it was a question I was asked yesterday at the end of a talk I, I, I did um yesterday about you know how how you coped with this um I think for me there are a couple of factors in in, in some ways my natural nature, the level of resilience that I've had um, through my, my life um, and the type of work that I've done as a professional coach and, 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 uh, and um, training and speaking and lots of things I've done were, were kind of skill sets and traits that have allowed me to do what I've done. So there was, if you like, there were some building blocks there. Um, um, but for me, I recognised very quickly after what had happened that someone was going to have to take control of the situation you know, what had happened to Jordan, dealing with all the personal issues, dealing with, for months, his his finances. And, uh, you know, we live in a digital world, obviously, Rob, where um, Jordan's paper records were atrocious in his house, what little there were. Most of it probably contained on his mobile phone that still to this day we've not been able to get right. into. Um, we were fortunate that through some support and some tech support we had, we managed to get into his laptop, we managed to get into his email account, we managed to find eventually where these investment companies were, where he had some money and banks and and someone had to do that. So I kind of immediately took on that that role, the funeral arrangements or leading that process, even though the family were involved, of course. Um, so I think there wasn't a lot of time for me to kind of 
dwell. You know, I used the term in that article. There was a choice. I could have just give, given up and sat on the sofa with a bottle. But stuff needed to be done. People, I felt, needed to rely on me to kind of be there and do some things. And I think once that started to happen, um, I kind of chunked everything down into, right, this is a project, finding this bank account or, or dealing with the coroner's office or, or whatever it was. Uh, it's, it's, it's a task, it's a project that I've got to do. Um, and that then started to, as I moved forward to do the kind of work I'm doing now, that, that has been my mentality that, that if I keep it over here in a box, whatever it is I'm working on, I can do it. If I um, you know, just listen to the music at the beginning, uh, and I know we talked about the song, the opening song we we're going to play today. Uh, but bizarrely, as you started playing, I thought, that's a nice piece of music. Uh, and then I suddenly realised what, what the music was. And um, yeah, it was huge. You know, it was just uh, massively emotional. I thought, oh, I'm not even sure I'm going to get through this now. Yeah, um, of, of course. So, and, and for everybody listening, that was the, the song you played at, at, at Jordan's funeral. Yeah, it's one of, the, one, of the, one of the three songs that we played. But um, so... You know, clearly, and the challenge for me is the moment I let the emotional part keep come in, then I'm a basket case, you know. And so I have to just keep, right, no, keep focused, understand why you're doing this, what it is you're doing, work through it. And then, of course, we have our, you know, our own kind of private moments or, or maybe not so private every so often. Yeah, yeah. As well, of, of course. Yeah. Of course. And, and and presumably you you have to find that space where you keep going, you keep going, you you do the things that need to be done because they have to be done and you have to find that strength. But you then also need to find the space to process in your own way, privately or with others. Um, have you found, obviously, have you found moments of that that space through the through the, the last few couple of years? Yeah, I mean, we, a number of things that we, we did very early on as, as a family. Again, this was pre-COVID, so we've been maybe more fortunate than a, than, than a lot of people here. But one of the things I suggested and we did as a, as a family we talked about was we, um, including Jordan's girlfriend and the immediate family, Jordan's sister and family and, and my mum and, and my ex-wife and, and uh, Jordan's stepmum, we, we all booked a place up in the lakes, a cottage and a retreat. And we, we took some time away in, in February. And so we did some, you know, we did some stuff fairly fairly quickly to, together you know we're going to be arranging a massive party a big outdoor party this this august which is huge i've got a big band i've got all sorts this marquee and i'm just kind of hoping we can do this still yeah, yeah all friends and everyone that's been part of this journey will come along and it'll be a celebration so we've we, we've we've kept jordan's memory alive and i think that's the important thing we we talk about him regularly we had a whatsapp support group in the family right from day one you know we we talk and we share images and you know we so we we kept i think the channels of communication going and and what we didn't do was bury it away yeah. not a great turn of phrase i realize as i say that but we we, you know, it, it would be very easy just to not talk about what's happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know that has happened for some people. Uh, and, and I think the challenge with doing that is you you hold it very heavily, this black colour we talked about earlier, yeah. and, and you never can move forward. Um, you know, uh, we've talked a lot about grief in the last two two years, in the last 18 months. And, um, you know, that the, the people talk about you know does the grief get smaller um and i've seen some great images and i'm sure you've seen these as well robert and the answer to that question is no 
Yeah. It, it never, but what you actually end up doing is kind of growing around it. It stays, you know, if you add a jar, you just end up building a bigger jar. Yeah. Because that grief is never going to get any, any smaller. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a really nice way of, of looking at what happens actually. And, um, you're also carrying that with you and that's part of you, isn't it? Um, thank you. I mean, thank you so much for sharing this. I know you, you, you speak about this regularly, but it's, it, it's a privilege to hear you talk about this. And, and clearly you, you found purpose um, in, in your work um, to talk me through that decision to, I mean, you, you posted fairly quickly and obviously got a, a, a huge impouring and a reaction to that post and rightly so. Um, you, you, you obviously then made a choice. I'm going to do something. I'm going to become a campaigner and an advocate for suicide prevention. What, what, just talk me through that process as, as you started to think, okay, I'm going to make a difference here. What, what, what process did you go through? Yeah, it was, it was almost in a way something that was thrust upon me. So if we go right back to that article, you know, question, why did I write that article? Um, as someone who for the last 11 and a half years had been a specialist, a speaker, a consultant in, in how companies could use LinkedIn, I was a, quite a regular story writer, an article writer. It's something that writing was, was something that and publishing was something that came to me fairly naturally. But we had so much stuff going on, so much of it that was an absolute nightmare after, after Jordan's death uh, in terms of dealing with the police and the coroner's office and, and just things that should never have happened um, that I, I kind of thought, God, well, you know, what if other people are going through this stuff, you know, can I share an experience that would maybe be useful for them? But more importantly, could I share with someone who's considering taking their own life just the absolute devastation that you will leave behind? You know, Jordan wrote a note, and he wrote two notes. He wrote one to Charlotte, his girlfriend, one to us as a, as a family, to his mum, his sister, and I. And he said, I, you know, I kind of know what this is going to do to you. Uh, 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 and I would challenge Jordan and say, you have no idea, not the slightest inkling what this will do, but I don't blame you because I know you were in such a dreadful place at that time that you had to get away from that pain. And I understand. So the why for me isn't there anymore. I, I understand why yeah. um, at all. Um, and you know, I think what he did was a courageous thing for, for him in the end because I think he did know to a large extent how bad it would be, but I don't think anyone really fully appreciates the ripple effect. So I um, I thought, right, well, that's why I'm going to publish the article. So I did, as you, as you say, it, 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 it kind of uh, got a huge response. Um, I know articles traditionally don't do very well compared with regular posts, but this one did. And that started to attract a, a lot of people to me, um, uh, experts in the world of mental health, psychologists who were thanking me for what I'd written in the way I'd written it, um, yeah. getting the message across maybe in a way that the, the, they theoretically had not been able to do. But then I started to get people who were struggling, mm. who messaged me personally, um, and that I wasn't anticipating. Um, clearly not a mental health professional, so how do I deal with that? So my immediate response was to speak to two members of the family. Um, one was Jordan's mum, who had been a senior mental health nurse for many years, yeah. and on the day... She got the news when I phoned her. She was on shift. She left work that day and has never been back. Um, and, of course, there was Charlotte, Jordan's girlfriend, who was just about to qualify as a clinical psychologist. She put a about to put a dissertation in. And, you know, she comes home to, to, to that. And, um, you know, um, 
Amazingly, she's gone on in the last 12 months now and qualified. She's now um, Dr. Charlotte, which is brilliant. And she's done an amazing job, um, not without her challenges and, and, and therapy that she's, she's needed, uh, trauma therapy and all sorts. But, um, um, but the point was that I went to those two people as, as experts and said, look, what do I do here? What do I say to these people that say I'm struggling? I, I'm tempted to take my life this week or I'm thinking about it. I've really no idea what what to do, um, and and so initially we we put the, the very simple things of Samaritan's number, contact your GP, A uh, and E if it's crisis, um, and I thought well I probably need a website, I need something to to maybe put some resources and and you know I, I know I have a voice publicly on LinkedIn, maybe I can start to share more stuff that will be of, of, of use, and I need to go on this learning journey now, which is really what it's been about. Yeah. in the last 18 months and just to add something there Rob, is that you know coming back to this point i needed some advice my knowledge of mental health if, if on a scale of one to ten where ten is I'm, a, I'm an expert if i was two or three on that scale i think i, I may be bigging up my part and, and and that is why i think another reason why i do what i do because i didn't properly understand what jordan was going through yeah. i kind of try to be there as dad but I now, in retrospect, see signs, have had conversations with Jordan that are now, without question, conversations that would have led me to, to go over to have a conversation with him. Um, there was a, a little different to a dad-son bit of banter. Um, yeah. But my knowledge was poor, and I think this is why I'm so passionate now about saying that mental health is all our responsibilities. It's not just the government. It's not just the mental health first aider. It's not just people like us that, that yeah. are trying to get the word out there. We all have a responsibility to educate ourselves, to understand the signs, how to recognize them, but then to understand what do I do yeah. um, and be brave enough to take that next step. And that's kind of where the journey is, is, is going still at the moment, I suppose. Wow. There's lots in there. There's, there's lots in there that I want to respond to. And, and again, my gratitude for, for everything you've just said, I think, I agree with you on the educational bit and the responsibility and there's some great free stuff out there that um yeah the public health england courses on um psychological um first aid um there's a great one for children's and young people yeah. um you know three hours online every parent should do that it's free and you're equipping yourself the samaritans course on uh, well-being in the workplace the listening skills of the samaritans free online three hours of your time um there's another bit that resonated with me um which is using your professional skill set as an outlet at a, the most terrific time for you. And it just resonated because my um, mother-in-law is a, um, a well-established portrait painter, Daphne Todd. And when Daphne lost her mother, not, not in a tragic situation uh, like yours, but when she lost her mother, her way of grieving was actually to paint her, her mother um, in a deceased state. And she, she actually won the BP Portrait of the Year Award for this, this work. It was incredible. But that was her process. And, and mm. you know, it was obviously quite controversial, but that was her process. And I'm not saying the things are the same, but I've, obviously you using your professional skill set of putting that article out there and, and framing it beautifully to help others is incredible. Um, the fact that you were thinking of helping others at that time is a testament to you. And I just want to call that out and say how amazing that is. I still have no idea how you find the strength that you need to find, needed to find in that circumstance. Um, but it blows me away that you you did and you were thinking about others at that, that time. Um, 
but you're right i think as as parents given the the way of the world given the loss of connection given the um the fact that we're we're, we're heading towards even pre the pandemic a contactless society you know you do your yoga with adrienne you do your delivery to get your food um and you know we're seeing less and less of people and we're going to be working more remotely now by the way so actually as parents is it a responsibility an obligation or an opportunity to be more knowledgeable about mental health and well-being i think i think it is um and that's a good call to action mm-hmm. um so thank you for sharing that that sort of journey to be just for you to start your journey of knowledge and learning um talk, talk us through that 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 last period of time as as you've evolved that knowledge and you've set up the Jordan Legacy CIC and, and, and what it's all about. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, as part of the journey, as I started to engage more and more on LinkedIn, you know, that attracted people to me that had an interest and, and uh, that brought a couple of people closely who wanted to directly support the work that I was doing. Um, one of those is a chap called Paul Vittles. I'm going to give him a shout out. Um, Paul, who lives just down the road in York. Um, I'm based in Harrogate in North Yorkshire. Um, and um, Paul had recently returned from um, spending 15 years in, in Australia, um, where he worked extensively in suicide prevention, writing some of the, the government's policy and strategies, mm-hmm. come back to the UK with a, with a skill set and a knowledge. He's a researcher by, by background, having started originally with Mori, um, uh, the poll company. And um, he... Um, uh, came back to the UK with a wealth of knowledge and experience, having worked at a high level, and and started to communicate with local authorities and NHS, and and was getting very little interest. Um, he was kind of blown away, and um, um, so he was clearly looking, you know, how can I use you know the skill sets that I've got in a practical way? S- saw what I was doing. We were kind of introduced to each other, as I recall. And that led to us um over a year ago having a conversation uh, where paul said look you know are you familiar with the zero suicide community some of the case studies from the early 2000s in detroit and how they managed to reduce through known suicides in the mental health system through the henry ford um clinics over there um got the levels down to zero Um, i said no are you familiar with mersey care what they were doing here similarly no uh well let me tell you about you know, these and, and what's been happening, you know, in where I've been in Australia. So I became very familiar with the zero suicide community, whose main mission is to is to say, look, if, if you were to ask anybody, a parent, um, a teacher, anyone listening to this call today, what should the target be for suicide? Naturally, the, the reaction has to be, it has to be zero, doesn't it? I mean, we can't accept 50%, 60 we can't accept that some people would, you know, we, we, we would want a target of zero. We know that's not realistic. We know that that will, will never happen. But if we aspire to moving closer and closer to zero, then we've got a fighting chance. Yeah. Now, I'm going to get a little political here. It, it kind of annoys me when I see the, the government's five-year um, and NHS five-year forward plan that says that by 2021-22, uh, they wanted to reduce suicide by 10%. And you go, what, 10%? Really? Is that the ambition we have in this country to reduce suicide by 10%? So what happens to the other 90 then? So so we have to get beyond this low ambition. Um, and, and this is only going to happen probably through communities. So as I had this, this conversation with Paul, he, he showed me this framework, a transformational model that he'd been involved in developing and said, look, there are kind of four areas that, that make a fairly robust ground up um, zero suicide 
strategy. Um, he said, we engage with communities. We look at communities from schools to pubs and clubs and sports clubs and chambers of commerce and say, how important is this topic to you? What do you feel you could do? How could you contribute? You know, it could be an artist. You know, it could, could be anyone at all. How could you contribute towards improving mental health and ultimately preventing suicide? Let's, let's talk about it. But your project, you do it, will be the, the catalyst. Yeah. Um, but how can we get communities involved? The second layer was workplace. How do we go out and talk to companies about what are they doing in terms of workplace well-being and culture? We know there's a massive push on this at the moment and, and all credit to a lot of companies that are making some huge strides here. Yeah. But, but do they have a do no harm policy in there at the moment? To, to, you know, are there designs of their, their buildings and systems and processes catered for those people that may end up in a crisis situation? So how do we work with, with workplaces? We've then got the third layer, which is the digital community and life-saving systems. Um, and, you know, everything from apps to um, augmented intelligence these days, there, you know, there are also great things happening, real-time surveillance now yeah. and, and feedback from first responders to get a real measure of the um, suicide statistics rather than waiting for the coroner's reports and nine months later to finally get those numbers coming yeah. through. And the fourth area is, is the design uh, community. How do we look at those physical structures in the public domain, bridges, car parks, buildings, you know, places that people use and research, we know, before taking their own lives? How can we, for the future, design out that capability rather than just taking existing structures and putting barriers up to, to stop them or closing a bridge down completely, as was the case you know, with the Humber Bridge? recently how can we think ahead a little bit in the way we design so those four layers are essentially we're just year one we're running live events to kind of talk about these issues we've got the life um, uh, saving systems digital and human event online on june the 25th to have that conversation got some great panelists on there including a 14 year old young lady from toronto called alicia aurora who will blow your mind in terms of what she's doing with augmented intelligence and has been seconded to MIT as part of their team and now Microsoft's sustainability team. She got in touch with them, by the way. Um, and so, um, so we're at that stage now where we're kind of getting the message out, raising awareness of these four layers. And our journey going forward now has to be about saying, right, how do we really engage with communities, businesses, digital community and the design out community and make some real practical things yeah, happen. Fantastic. Again, I, I love the approach that you're taking and that, you know, putting that framework in place and then influencing at a community level. And I think that's how we're going to make meaningful change. Um, I want to talk about stigma a little bit. Um, you know, stigma is uh, of mental ill health and mental illness is, is one of the big problems that prevent mm. people from seeking help. Um, and for many years, I didn't share my challenges of bipolar because of stigma, because of the fear of how I'd be perceived. But if mental illness is stigmatized, suicide is, is more heavily stigmatized, isn't it? And can, can you share some experiences of, the, uh, of that and some insights into any stigmas you've faced um, and what's your perspective on, on this topic? Yeah, I mean, personally, I've received very few barriers or, or you know, people not wanting to, to, to talk personally, but I have spoken to many people who have experienced stigma. Um, and, and I think, although we never openly discussed this with Jordan, you know, he was very reluctant 
um, to to talk about his mental health, share that particularly with his work colleagues until right at the very very end almost, um, because he wanted to get on with the job. He was you know very much a typical male in, in this respect, didn't want to be seen as, as weak, wanted to get on with the, with the job. So I know Jordan probably felt a degree of stigma or, or, or just maybe didn't want to burden others. Yeah. But I have spoken to, to many people who just just said, you know, I find this really hard to, to talk about with um, family um, and friends and colleagues. Um, and I think, you know, the debate has opened up hugely We've, we've both seen this in, the, in yeah. the last year or two now, Rob, and, and it's okay to talk and we were kind of given permission here. Um, but um, I think there is still, the stigma rests more with us than it does with other people, I think, now. Yeah. So I think the situation we've got is that um, we're more reluctant for fear of what we think others might think, yeah. when actually the reality today, I think, is very different to what it was 12 months ago or 15 months ago, but inside we're still, you know, what will people think of me? You know, if I break my arm, break my leg, or I get a diagnosis of diabetes, I'm going to tell people, okay, because that's what happens. But if I've got a clinical diagnosis of depression or anxiety, I think I might just keep that one to myself. So we've still not, uh, so I think it's self-imposed to a large degree is my, my view. Um, but I have spoken to so many people and, and culture plays a huge part. We're a very diverse culture in the UK. I've spoken to quite a number of people in the Asian communities where mental health and particularly suicide, um, you know, just a young lady I spoke to recently, 19 years old on antidepressants. Um, she said, I can't talk to this with my father. He keeps saying, why, why are you taking those? You shouldn't be taking those. You know, this is the, it's not what we do in, in our culture. So I think, the suicide conversation is a difficult one. That's the next barrier to break through. I think people are just just the word, you know, the yeah. word people are just not not, not comfortable with. And, and we absolutely have to and bless their hearts. I know people are using this because it's been around for a long, long time. We've just got to stop using the word committed. Well, absolutely. I mean, suicide was previously a crime in the UK and it is a tragedy, not a crime. You, one commits a crime, um, one does not commit suicide. One, yeah. one loses their life by suicide or takes their life. Um, I, I totally agree. And, and that's, that's super important. Um, the, the pandemic is obviously having an impact. I think um, I, I, I've certainly seen, even in my own community, uh, a tragedy uh, by suicide. Um, and that I think there's not many communities that will be exempt from this if if uh, if, if you take a close look. Are, are you concerned? Are, you know, and what do you think we need to be doing more to address the specific challenges that we might be faced um, coming through these these difficult times and lockdowns and all the rest of it? Yeah, I think I am concerned because COVID has impacted uh, uh, people in lots of different ways, um, you know, through loss and bereavement and, and not being able to grieve properly, maybe even attend funerals to the anxiety around returning to work now. Um, yeah. You know, for some people, working from home has been a real bonus for them. For others, it's been hard work and added a lot of pressures and stresses. And we know that some people are living in relationships and situations in lockdown that have been less than um, enjoyable, uh, to say the least, and added huge pressures there. But I think we, we are now faced with um, an uncertain world due to, to COVID. Um, nobody really 
knows how long this is going to be with us. I think the re reality is it will be with us forever um, in one way, shape or form. But we're now facing this return to, to work. And I spoke to many employees through the workshops I'm running with companies in the UK and through Europe who are genuinely concerned. And, and their concerns are getting on a bus, getting on a train, commuting if I'm in London. The concerns are whatever my company has put in place um, for, a, for a safe return to work, will my colleagues honour this? Will they respect social distancing? Yeah. Um, I've actually quite enjoyed being at home, being able to do probably more work and be more productive, but also have that bit of downtime in the garden. Yeah. But now I've got to go to a workplace canteen. I'm switched on all day. Somebody yeah. might come and chat to me in the queue there about work. I'm never going to have that kind of downtime where I can put the washing on. And, yeah. and, and I think people are in this situation where their lives have changed enormously. And, and now they're about to change albeit maybe back, yeah. but never back to what it was before. And I think that's going to create a lot of anxiety and, and worry for, for people um, as well. So I think we, we've got, um, I think we've got to be very careful of just saying everything's going to return to normal on <laughs> July the 19th or whenever it is now. It, it will not, you know, there is, what is normal? There's, you know, no, there's, there's no such thing. I mean, normal is a construct. It doesn't exist. You know, no, you know whatever is current, you know, is not going to be whatever was before. Mm. Um, and um, we can't hold ourselves up to what it was before. We, we can try and replicate it and cause additional stress, or we can try and create opportunity mm. to have a better world. And that's my mm. hope. And I think good organisations will do it. Uh, bad organisations won't. Um, and we've got to try and influence the good ones. Steve, we, we, we don't have enough time, do we? we I want no, to I was going to say we could be here for, for, for a I, while. I want to yeah, talk to you some more. I've got two more questions for you, two, two, two more brief ones. We, we've touched on hope. Hope is so important. And my message to anyone, and I'm sure you'd agree with me, Steve, listening to or watching this who is struggling, there is always hope. There is always hope. However bleak, however dark it feels, there is always hope. Please talk to somebody. Um, hope is so important on this agenda, isn't it? And, and what is your hope for the next 12 months, Steve? Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we're making a, a firm statement around uh, hope. And, and I think, um, you know, I hope people will will take the time to, to, to understand more about mental health. And, and I know, you know, I receive many personal messages from the posts that I share with people saying this, this has made me want to talk to my kids more and my family and, 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 and take more care there. But so I hope more people do. Um, firstly, they're a little kinder to, to people. And, yeah. um, you know, my levels of road rage have dropped significantly in the last 18 months because I, you know, I, they happen look, momentarily. And then I think, yeah. what if that guy is me 18 months ago? Yeah. You know, so, so again, I think we just need to be a little kinder and a bit more tolerant. Um, hey, we're all living with huge stresses. But one of the big statements we're making is that on December the 1st in, in Harrogate, I've, I've committed to this, I've booked a... A, a live venue in Harrogate to the conference centre there to um, have our Hope for Life conference. Um, and uh, already got a couple of great speakers, including Johnny Benjamin, MBE, who's speaking there, and James Kircher, uh, who was recently on the BBC News as the, the guy who, um, uh, and this will make, make you uh, shudder as a cyclist, but he um, uh, holds the Guinness Book of Records for the triathlon he did just a few years ago 
in the same year of cycling around the world, um, um, rowing across the Atlantic and climbing Everest all in the same year. Um, and then flew single-handedly in a gyrocopter um, to raise um, awareness for a, a million young people that they could achieve their am ambitions. And uh, so James is one of the speakers as well, which is fantastic. But it, it, it's, you know, the end of this year, I wanted an event close to, to, to Jordan's anniversary on the 4th of December, um, where we could bring people together. I didn't want it to be a suicide prevention conference in the traditional yeah. way. I wanted it to be a real, yeah, okay, you know, there's been some journeys here, but there's some real inspiration. Yeah. Uh, I want people to leave with a real sense of hope from that conference. So that's happening on December the 1st. That's on our website as well. Amazing. We'll put links links to that. And if uh, if you need me there, I'm there. Even if it's to come and play some R and B tunes with my DJ alter ego, Doctor Mood Swing. Um, so <laughs> let me know. I hold you. I hold you to that. I'm making a note of that. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you got it. Um, so final question: um, We're collecting and curating a series of well-being golden nuggets. The one piece of well-being wisdom that you would pr be prepared to share um, to encourage people to manage their well-being. What would your nugget be, Steve? Yeah, and I think this is harder to do than 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 um, than to actually pro probably say. Um, but but I think um, just take some time for yourself. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm still not managing that well enough. Okay, and 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 I pay the price for that. You know, I, I do. You know, without question. Um, you know, whatever list you have, whatever busy task project list you you have, that's going to be there tomorrow and the day after. Uh, what won't necessarily be there the, the day after uh, will be your health um, or the health of someone you care about. And, and I think we just need to make more time. Yeah, make more time for yourself. You're right. All of the stuff on our lists, we'll never get through it anyway. Um, we'll get through it more efficiently if we do make time for ourselves and we'll be happier, healthier and more productive. Yeah. Um, Steve, thank you so much. This is the Form Guide, um, uh, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. You're a, a closing guest for our first season. Um, we're going to have a seven-day break and then back for season two. Next week, we're going to interview Emma Stroud, who is a comedian, a mental health advocate, MC of our Inside Out Awards, and all-round good egg. Um, but Steve, I wanted to say thank you, and please, everybody on the, the live, send some support uh, with the icon there. Thank you for sharing your story, but importantly, thank you for giving me an insight into who Jordan was and the legacy that he leaves. Thank you for the work that you do, and um, you have my support in any way that I can do to uh, to help you on your mission. Thank you, Steve. No, thank you, Rob. Really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it. Brilliant. Cheers.